You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Well, it's a rainy, drudgy, and gloomy morning here in Baltimore. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Christopher Linfont, bringing you another episode of the Nest Talk podcast here on Friday, February 7th, 2020. We're already a whole month into 2020, as we've already passed January, and I still cannot believe it's 2020, but here we are. Anyway, it's a terrible day in Baltimore. I mean, it's it's nice if you like rain, but um, thundering, lightning a little bit, um, just very gloomy out. Uh, not football weather, and we're kind of glad there is no football going on right now for the Baltimore Ravens, but of course we have football this weekend, XFL football is debuting, and you know, this is an NFL podcast, this is the Ravens-centered um, podcast, but I figure we will talk about the XFL at least a little bit at the end of the episode, because really there's not a whole lot of Ravens news, we're in that mid-dead zone part from now until the Combine, there's not going to be a whole lot of information being released about the Baltimore Ravens, we might get a few contract um, notifications here and there, you know, picking up options or something like that, we'll see, now, We've been behind on the article schedule, so I don't really want to talk really too much about um, player positional groups because I want to do the article series on that, and I know you all like those. Um, So what we're really going to do today is recap um, the awards the Baltimore Ravens were given, and then I think we're going to go straight into the XFL. There's, I mean, there's really nothing else to talk about unless I'm forgetting something and it comes to my mind during this episode, but um, let's just jump right into it. If you were not paying attention, last Saturday, I believe it was, um, right, last Saturday, the Baltimore Ravens, before the Super Bowl, um, had a few wars picked up. Now, obviously, we all expected Lamar Jackson to win the MVP award, um, but there were some other awards that were picked up by John Harbaugh and Greg Rowan. But before we get into that, I almost forgot, let's just do some housekeeping real quick. If you are listening on iTunes, make sure you subscribe on iTunes if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you follow the podcast on Spotify. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell. Um, We want to get these podcasts to you as soon as they come out. Hopefully, I was going to do it on a Thursday evening. Hopefully, I want to do that in the future. Um, We did that last week just to test it out. I like that better than doing it in the morning, which I'm doing right now at 1030. Um, So it's an earlier release every day, every Friday. We'll see if we can do that in the future. It just wasn't tenable last night. Had some things going on. Um, so that was not possible, but, um, so make sure you subscribe on those fronts. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at Be More Feather or at Nest Talk on Twitter. You can find my personal Twitter. That's right. My personal Twitter at Chris Linfont on Twitter. Make sure you hit that one up as well. Um, and if you want to follow us on Facebook, go ahead, just search up the Baltimore Feather or the Nest Talk podcast on Facebook should be right there. And finally, go to BaltimoreFeather.com for the latest and greatest Ravens news and opinion articles. We're going to be pumping some out in the coming weeks as we get closer to the Combine. I'm not sure if I'm going to begin the process of evaluating prospects, draft prospects, until before or after the Combine. I would love to do it earlier than the Combine, but the problem with that is you don't get the measurables. You know, schools put out measurables, you know, height, weight, and, and everything like that, but we don't get the most accurate because, you know, they, they embellish it a little bit. Let's, let's be realistic. And we don't get the 4-4, four, four, yeah, not 4-4, four, 40-yard four, four, dash speed. If it's a 4-4, four, four, it's a great 40-yard dash. We don't get, you know, um, bench presses. We don't get um, three-cone drills. All those that information we need to know about to fully evaluate a prospect. So I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. Maybe we'll focus on guys that are not going to the combine first. Right, because there are going to be players not going to the combine that might be worth picking up in the later rounds or undrafted um, for the Ravens. Because remember, not every prospect goes to the NFL combine, so we'll work out something. We're going to get draft prospects moving here very soon, but I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do. And of course, but but as the format goes, at least, of course, we're going to follow roughly the same format as last year. I definitely want to do more videos. I like doing the film review breakdowns as videos. I, I really like doing that. Maybe we'll put them in podcast form too. I'm not sure. Maybe do like a short or something. Like um, um, Chem Acoustics Film Study has a, has a podcast short. He does – I was on one the other, the other um, last week where he 
dives into a specific topic. Maybe we'll do something like that. Maybe we won't. Um, but right now, I definitely want to do video. We'll keep the article format going as always, um, and we'll see what what goes from there. Um, maybe we'll talk about free agency first. I don't know. Um, but I definitely, I mean, I'm excited for draft season. The off season, really. I mean, I love the football season, but the off season is so fun just because of all the speculation that goes into it. And it's already February here. We're going to get moving on it because the combine is at the end of this month. I believe it starts the 28th or 27th, and it goes, I think, to March 1st. So, you know, we have a lot to watch at the NFL Combine. And we'll see. Maybe someone breaks the record for 40-yard dashes. I kind of doubt it, but we'll see what happens there. Um, So moving back into it, John Harbaugh won Coach of the Year. Lamar Jackson won MVP, and Greg Roman. I actually didn't expect this. I had articles ready for John Harbaugh and, and Lamar Jackson. I had them ready to go um, as soon as they were announced. And if, if you're not familiar with the NFL honors, everything gets leaked ahead of time because it's pre-recorded, which is one of my main gripes about the show because why even watch the NFL honors show if it's all pre-recorded and all the awards get leaked during the show because people there just either tweet it out or tell somebody I believe media is there, so they're going to tweet it out anyway. Um, so I, I have no idea why they just don't show it live. It's always baffled me why they don't do that. And, you know, so I, I, I didn't actually watch the show. I'm, I'm sure most of you probably didn't watch the NFL on our show. If they were announcing these things live, then I think they would have a lot more viewers. But they don't. So... Anyway, the one that everyone was expecting, everyone knew was going to happen was Lamar Jackson. John Harbaugh was a bit more on the fence. There was some talk of Kyle Shanahan getting Coach of the Year. That did not happen. Um, It was obviously Harbaugh. But the one I didn't expect, I honestly forgot it was even an award, was Assistant Coach of the Year, and that went to Greg Roman. Okay? So I had a John Harbaugh article ready to go. I had a Lamar Jackson article ready to go. I did not have a Greg Roman article ready to go. And if you were watching my Twitter account when this was going down, as soon as they announced Greg Roman, I tweeted it out or I retweeted whatever the, the announcement was. And then it took me like 15, 20 minutes to put an article out. And then I immediately put out the John Harbaugh article like seconds afterwards. Because I had to sit there and, and write the entire Greg Roman article. And all my articles have to be at least 300 words. That's the standard, at least 300 words. Proofread the whole nine yards in 15 minutes. I had to get that all done. And then I hit out, sent out the John Harbaugh um, wins coach of the year a few minutes late because of the delay Greg Roman caused me. So I am sorry about that part. I forgot that was even an award. Um, yeah, so Greg Roman, let's start with that one because that was the first one that was announced. Obviously, Greg Roman provides the most value of any offensive coordinator in the league right now. And I say that because he was able to tailor a brand new offensive scheme I mean, maybe we've, we've seen pieces of it here and there, but we've never seen it to this level, to this scale, with a mobile quarterback. Greg Roman was able to scheme up an offense that worked tremendously well. And I mean tremendously well. There was no better offense in the National Football League in 2019, the Baltimore Ravens offense, and it was so unconventional. What you had was Mike Vick's speed with a really good arm, better than Mike Vick's arm ever was. I don't even know whose arm to compare him to. But, you know, Lamar Jackson, what, I mean, going into, let's just say going into the, 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 the season here, there was so many questions. And, of course, I was one, really, of the doubters. I'll admit that I was wrong. About Lamar Jackson, I just didn't think it, he was going to be able to pull it off, in my opinion. He was not going to be able to pull it off. There were too many if factors. You know, can he get the accuracy down? Does he have the arm strength? Can he withstand the hits? I mean, that's a small frame to withstand those hits. And, you know, there were a lot of us in the media who were questioning, could Lamar Jackson pull this off? Now, obviously, um, we were wrong. I accept being wrong. After the first week of the regular season, immediately after the game, I wrote and and published, um, I'm sorry for doubting Lamar Jackson article. Because at that point, what I saw in that first game, he checked the box, what did I just say, of arm strength. He checked the box um, of accuracy. We don't know if he checked the box of, of sustaining hits. I mean, that's going to be a long-term thing. But he hasn't gotten hurt in his two years with the Ravens now. And I know he didn't start the full first year, but that doesn't really matter. The point is, he hasn't gotten hurt. So that's interesting to say the least. Now, back to Greg Roman, though. 
you know, this is not a conventional style. And, and many offensive coordinators would look at Lamar Jackson and say, man, I love that speed. I love that elusiveness. But I don't want to use it all the time. I want to make sure that he stays healthy, stays fresh, what have you. We're not going to use it all the time. We'll let him run here and there, but he's going to be a pocket passer. He's going to be what Washington Redskins wanted to do to Robert Griffin III. He is going to be what Marcus Mariota is. When you look at the Titans, what do they do to Marcus Mariota? They made him not run. And you're taking away, not maybe not his best attribute. Maybe Marcus Mariota is, is a better thrower than a runner. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not an expert on Marcus Mariota by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. But here's what I will tell you about Marcus Mariota. When you take away an asset that makes him different, then he's just any other quarterback. There's no point in keeping a mobile quarterback if you're not going to use him. Now, Russell Wilson is the one real exception to this, and I'm not going to say he's a pocket passer. He's mo- he's a mobile guy. He runs around in the pocket. You know, he moves around. But he throws more than he runs, for sure. I mean, of course, all quarterbacks are going to do that, but, I mean, you know what I mean. In, in Compared to, to Lamar Jackson, compared to some of these other mobile quarterbacks in, of, of history, Randall Cunningham, Michael Vick, you know, he's a guy that kind of runs around but, but looks for the throw at all times. And then, of course, he will take off and run. I mean, that's eventually what I think Lamar Jackson's going to become, you know, as he gets older. Because Russell Wilson ran some more when he was younger. But as he gets older, Russell, you know, Lamar Jackson wants to emulate that Russell Wilson game. But Greg Roman in 2019 understood that he could have Lamar Jackson carry the ball on the ground, carry the team through the air, and really light up the league. And he schemed it so well. I mean, when you look at these running plays, these read options, and there's, look, there's nobody better than doing the read option in the National Football League, maybe in NFL history, than Lamar Jackson. When you watch him do a read option and he pulls it away from Mark Ingram or Gus Edwards, you know, you don't know where that ball is on camera. You don't know where it is. He conceals it so well. He has this sleight of hand movement. That you, I mean, until he's running with it, you don't know where that ball is. And that's a major problem for defenders. And Greg Roman knew this, and he exploited it. And he made sure, you know, Lamar Jackson should be credited for all the work he put in on the offseason. But Greg Roman made sure that happened, and he made sure he used everything Lamar Jackson developed. The deep bomb. He had it there. The accuracy. He had a 66% completion rating. A lot of that accuracy, though does come from the scheme because you got to get guys open. You don't want him threading the needle all the time because at the end of the day, no quarterback should be threading the needle on every single pass. you got to get guys wide open. But how often was Mark Andrews wide open? Um, Marquise Brown was wide open. There were plays Miles Boykin was wide open. And when these guys weren't wide open, he was still hitting them on targets. Um, you know, Mark Ingram out of the backfield, major receiving threat. Out of the backfield. Who would have thought that was going to happen? On these checkdowns and wheel routes, right? He schemed it so well. The read option was the core of the run game. But, you know, figuring out how to get these runners, you know, getting them up the middle, making these blocking schemes work, because that's what Greg Roman is the best at. He's really, really good at finding blocking schemes, implementing implementing them into an offense, and making them work. That's what he's really good at. That's his bread and butter. He was a run game coordinator for the Ravens before taking over as OC. That's just what he was able to do. And, of course, as a former tight ends coach with the Ravens as well, he got the tight ends involved heavily this season. I mean, you wonder why Mark Andrews is having such a great time as a Raven, why Hayden Hurst kind of bounced back after that lame rookie year. And while... Boyle, I almost said Doyle, but that's Jack Doyle for the, um, he's on the Colts, right? Boyle, Nick Boyle, had his first couple touchdowns ever. I mean, he, what is he, a fifth year guy now? Maybe he's going to his fifth year? We drafted him, I think, in 2015. So yeah, I think he's going to his fifth year. Um, he's a guy who just had never had a touchdown prior to this year. Think about that for a second. One of the best blocking tight ends in the league 
for four years on the Ravens had not had maybe it's five years, four years, four years on the Ravens prior to 2019 had not had a touchdown. Then he had, I think, two this year. And all the tight ends got involved. All three tight ends got involved. Really, I mean, Mark Andrews was a, I think he was our leading receiver, right? So that just goes to show you how Greg Roman schemes this up. Now, of course, Marquise Brown has a tremendous upside. I think he'll be a better receiver next year. He'll be um, a core part of this offense again. Expanded role as well. But these tight ends aren't going away. The scheme is not going away. They figured out how to break defenses down. Because you don't know where the ball is. You don't know where the ball is going to go. you got speed everywhere. Even Hayden Hurst has speed. Hayden Hurst hit 20 miles per hour on a catch and run this year. Who would have thought that was possible? So Greg Roman devising, devising this really crazy, really intricate, new um, offense. I mean, it, it's just extraordinary, and he obviously deserves assistant coach of the year because who else in the National Football League, I mean, really, who else would be able to look at the situation and go, you know what? Let's not make Lamar Jackson run less. Let's double down on him. Let's get him over the rushing record and still have him pass for 36 touchdowns, lead the NFL, and win the MVP award. I don't think there's many coordinators that would be able to pull that off. Now, of course, um, he wouldn't have been able to do this without the help of a one John Harbaugh. And, of course, Harbaugh won Coach of the Year, obviously, Um 14-2 record. The record really doesn't show it all to me. I mean, I, I get record is super important for coaches, right? Because it's their product. They're the ones putting it on the field. They make all of the real tough decisions here. But, you know, what, whatever the record is doesn't really matter in terms of coach of the year to me. To me, it means, did he act, like, how did he actually coach? Because you could have a superstar roster, okay? You could have all the best players of the position, and you can go run the table without any real coaching. I mean, that's essentially what the NBA is. I'm sorry, but I don't like the NBA very much. But essentially the NBA, right, it's it's just assembling teams. It's a GM game. The coaches really have nothing to do with it. They just put players in and out. There's no real coaching in it. It's just get the best players, put them on the, put them on the court, see if they can win. That's the NBA in a nutshell. That's not the NFL. The NFL, you actually need a coach that can win. And occasionally you'll get a stacked roster that does it for the coach. But to have long-term continued success, you need a stable coach. You need a guy who's going to do well. And John Harbaugh, I mean, this is his first Coach of the Year award. And this is, what, his 12th season? Something like that? Um, what's most important for me in this Coach of the Year campaign, what was most important, was the changes John Harbaugh made to the Ravens. Some of them I didn't even like until about midway through the season. Because i got to be real with you, I, I was not a fan of how aggressive he was on fourth down for a little bit. In that Chiefs game, fourth down, two-point conversions, he looked dumb. He really looked dumb with that, and I criticized him for it. And I think he deserved the criticism for it because after that game, you know, he changed some things around. It wasn't just, oh, let's every time we have an opportunity, take it, no matter what the opportunities were. Because that was essentially what he was doing with the Chiefs. It was just two points, two points. I think he had two no, three two-point conversion attempts and like three or four fourth down. I mean, it was it was insane. It just didn't make any sense. It put the Ra- it, it put the Ravens behind. You know, they got away from what they were supposed to do. They they got away from the run game. Run game. They passed more. They did all these stupid little things. But after that game, he kind of refined it. I mean, I know he had the Cleveland loss, but he he started to refine the strategy, the analytics into it. So here's, you know, the analytics is, is a major component of John Harbaugh being coach of the year. There's no question in my mind. His embracement of analytics got the Ravens to where it was, or at least was part of the success story of the 2019 Baltimore Ravens. There's no question. The Ravens would not be 14-2 without those analytics, without that four, fourth down conversion for a touchdown in Seattle. The Ravens are not 14-2. That's the turning point of the whole season. That really is. I mean, if we had, if we won the Super Bowl and they made an America's game about the Baltimore, 2019 Baltimore Ravens, that fourth down conversion where he asked Lamar Jackson if he wants to go for it, and Lamar Jackson says he does, that would be 
probably the highlight of the entire show because that's where everything changed. They were four and two going into that game, and Harbaugh put it all on on, on his young first year full starter quarterback, who wasn't really even in the MVP conversation at the time. He was kind of floating around as a maybe. Like, there are some people talking about him, but it wasn't mainstream. It was all Russell Wilson, and he went in, not only got that fourth down, went for the touchdown, ended up winning that game. Huge moment for the Baltimore Ravens. That's an analytics moment. Another reason John Harbaugh is a, is a huge, huge, um, well, I mean, not huge favorite to win. I mean, he won it now. Um, why he won this award is really, I mean, the Greg Roman style of offense. I mean, John Harbaugh's entire offensive style from 2008 to 2017, before they drafted Lamar Jackson, okay, it was basically a pro-style West Coast type thing. I mean, it got more West Coast with Kubiak onward, but it was pro-style under Cam Cameron, Caldwell, um, you know, those guys for a while. It was big quarterback, throwing deep bombs, you know, run game, ground and pound type of thing. Nothing new age about it. And that was good for the time. I mean, obviously you got a Super Bowl ring out of it. That's fine. Flacco was a great quarterback for a long time for the Ravens. People don't understand that. I mean, a lot of Ravens fans understand that. Longtime Ravens fans will understand what Flacco brought to the table really from 09 he was good, but probably 10, 11, 12, 13 was a weird year because they blew up the entire offense, but 14 was really good. 15 had it, but the offense, everything, everybody was hurt. Uh, and then he got hurt, and then things went downhill. But from when Flacco was really good, I mean, he was really good. So that's the offense they ran. But, I mean, it would have been so easy for John Harbaugh to trade up and let's say get Josh Allen to replace Joe Flacco, right? Same type of guy. Tall, huge arm, small school guy, you know, Wyoming. He's basically, he was basically the Flacco of that draft. Of course, he wasn't as accurate as him in college, which was my main gripe about him in 2018. Um, but that could have been the easiest move for Harbaugh, getting another Flacco-type guy to replace Flacco. But he didn't do that, and I don't know how much it was his decision, how much of it was Ozzie's, how much of it was Eric DaCosta's, how much of it was Steve Bishotti. Maybe Harbaugh was the one pushing for it, but everybody seemed on board with it, drafting Lamar Jackson to replace Flacco and what that meant to them. At the time, you know, we weren't really sure what a Lamar Jackson offense would look like. None of us were really sure about it. Would they try to keep him in the pocket more? Would they just make him a running back, essentially? I mean, we knew he would be, I mean, he'd be a quarterback, but would he run more than pass? And we got a taste of it in 2018 when Flacco went down, which is one of the most disheartening moments as a Ravens fan. I mean, I know what it led to. I know how great Lamar Jackson was rookie season, leading an offense, even though he wasn't a great passer, but doing it on the ground. Um, but it was one of the most disheartening moments to see Flacco go down with that hip injury, just as a Ravens fan. It just felt like a gut wrench, but we, at least we had a guy behind him we were hoping to see succeed, and, and that's what happened. But 2018 was weird, because the Ravens offense essentially was run the ball for 250 to 300 yards and pass for 150 yards every single game. I mean, that was essentially what they were doing. I mean, Lamar Jackson had games where he ran more than he passed, and I'm sure he had it this year, but there were there were probably more of them in 2018, just off the top of my head. And his best game was that Chargers game, right? Not the second one, not the playoff one. That was his worst by far ever game. But that Chargers game in Los Angeles, I mean, they needed the win to stay in the playoff hunt. They got it, or at least in the hunt for the division, right? They got it. They end up getting that win, and they go and get the win against Cleveland, I mean, that's when he started to light things up a little bit. Because before that, it was Atlanta, where he's running the ball so much. It was Cincinnati at home. His first, I mean, I was there. His first home game, his first start ever as a National Football League quarterback. Very glad I, got, was, I was there, by the way. Um, it was a remarkable moment to watch. But it was basically just run the ball. And it worked for a little bit, because teams 
didn't have the opportunity to watch the tape on it because there was no tape on it. There was him in college, but there was no him and Gus Edwards tape. There was no him and Mark Andrews tape, right? Together, there was the offense just was weird. And and I know how much we didn't like Marty Mornwake here. I had to defend him a little bit because I thought the transition was really good, doing what he could. And I think he would have been a fine offensive coordinator to keep, to be quite honest with you. I, I think a lot of the Ravens fans' gripes with him were, were really not cemented in fact, especially the whole he didn't make adjustment adjustments thing in the Chargers game because I went through, I, I, I ran the tape over and over again. I, I looked at personnel changes. There were a lot of personnel changes. It just didn't work. I mean, that was the biggest issue. It just didn't work. None of his things worked. So, um, but, you know, I mean, moving into that offense, it showed you, okay, the Ravens are going this way. But then they make another change this year. And, of course, that has to have a John Harbaugh aspect to it because I know Greg Roman designed it, but John Harbaugh, it had to be his idea because he could have kept Marty Warnweg to do that kind of offense, but he thought Greg Roman would be able to revolutionize it because that's all he talked about this offseason, revolutionizing offense. And I kind of made fun of him for a little bit. I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't remember if it was a podcast or a tweet or an article. I don't remember. But I remember saying something like, yeah, okay, yeah, we're going to be revolutionary, I'm sure. Like, you know, it's just not going to happen, Harbaugh. We'll be a good offense, I'm sure, but it's not going to be revolutionary. And here we are with the leading rusher on the team, breaking rushing records, winning the MVP award, and throwing 36 touchdowns with 3,000 passing yards to six interceptions. 14-2 team. It was revolutionary. It honestly was revolutionary. And you got to give Harbaugh credit for that. And the third point I want to give Harbaugh credit for for this award, which, I mean, this might be the biggest thing, although you could really credit Eric DaCosta for this too, is finding street talent. Middle-of-the-year street talent. And I'm not talking... Marcus Peters, okay, training for Marcus Peters. I'm talking Jihad Ward, Damata Pecco, um, Josh Bynes, LJ Fort, those type of guys. Guys that were not on a team middle of the season that were brought in by the Ravens and immediately made an impact. And I mean immediately made an impact. And, of course, um, not Josh Bynes, but LJ Fort is back another year. Deserves it, really, he does, um, because of the way he put on for the Ravens. There's no question about it. When you can bring in guys midseason, plug them into a scheme they are not part of, they were not designed to be part of, it shows you not only great executive work by Eric DeCosta, but great coaching to fit them in to find the place. Because Eric DeCosta could bring in the best players at every position, but Harbaugh's got to put it together. Of course, I mean, defensively, you got to credit Wink Martindale, too, for this. Because most of these additions happen on, on defense. I don't even know if there were any on offense that actually did happen. It was all defensively. Because after that Cleveland Browns game, I mean, I was there. That was a brutal loss. That was terrible. That was maybe one of the worst Ravens losses I've ever been to. And I've been to some Ravens losses. I was at that Bears game in 2017. We didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter, right? And then we went to overtime and lost the game because Eric Weddle couldn't tackle Tariq Cohen. I was there for that 2015 Cleveland Browns game, right? The tight end no one remembers now, Gary Barnage, right? That was his name. Caught up between his legs. I was there for the Redskins game when Brashad Perryman could not get his feet down in 2016. I mean, I, my first Ravens win I ever saw in person because I had originally only gone to one Ravens game a year. The first one I ever got to was 2013, because if, if you guys don't know, I'm not actually from uh, Maryland, which is, you know, can be a problem getting to Ravens games, so I go for one a year. The first one was 2013, it was against the Bengals. It's a really cold November day, up in the rafters, you know, that was just excruciatingly cold. The wind was whipping. I mean, it was a great experience, though, because the bank was so fun to be at, and for a first home Ravens game. I mean, that was tremendous. It was way different than watching them on television. Um, and that was the game, I don't know if you guys remember, but A.J. Green um, catches it off the tip of some other defender, puts it into overtime. That was that game. That was our end zone. We were up watching that from above. I remember the whole crowd just, you know, basically sighing a relief, and then all of a sudden he catches it, and it's like, uh-oh. You know, A.J. Green just tied it up. Um 
I don't even know where I'm going with this anymore. But anyway, the losses, right? So 2014, I go to the Bengals game opener. The one Steve Smith Sr. grabs a guy's face mask. And this is the not we, – we went down into, like, the lower rows for this one. And it was the sign line we were on. Steve Smith, Smith Sr. took the guy's face mask and pushed – shoved them into the ground. I mean, that was amazing. But then 2015, we see the uh, Cleveland Browns give us a loss. So we saw the Bengals give us a loss in 2014. Browns give us a loss in 2015. Um, 2016 was the Redskins game I was at. They give us a loss. 2017 was the Bears game. They gave us a loss. There were four years in a row. I had not seen a Ravens win at home. Then I get the season pass for 2018, which is, I mean, if you can get your hold on the season pass, if they do it again next year, I have no idea. But it was like $39 a ticket for the upper rafters. And we were sitting down at this point yearly on the bottom seats, but for $39 a game going to, I mean, we had to, we just had to take the opportunity. That's what we did. We ended up going um, in the rafters for every home game. So then I could start to see some wins again. So I was there for a lot of these Lamar Jackson games, right? But that Cleveland Browns game, this is where I was going with it. That Cleveland Browns game was worse than any of the other losses I sustained. And I mean, this was a four year stretch. It was difficult. It was really difficult to see those losses keep going. But that Cleveland Browns was, what, 40 to 25, I think it was? Completely outrageous. Because it showed the Ravens were not ready to compete, not with the roster they had. And instead of doubling down on the roster they had, instead of trying to figure out ways they can make it work, the Ravens, John Harbaugh, Eric DaCosta, understood this is not going to work. We have to make changes. And they did it. They flat out did it. Most coaches would probably not do what they did. I mean, they even got production out of Maurice Kennedy. Think about that. Harbaugh got production out of Maurice Kennedy when they needed him for a little bit. In that Cleveland game, he actually had a decent game against Cleveland. He had a decent game, I think, the next week, too. I forget the whole deal. But he had some moments, Maurice Kennedy, this year, which honestly were really good. And he's a guy that I've criticized before. He's a guy that, you know, I've said doesn't belong on the Ravens anymore. And he really didn't for a little bit. But but this season, you, you put some of it together. And it's a shame he had to get cut. It really is. Um, I'm glad he ended up on the Jets. I think he's still there. Harbaugh got production out of Maurice Kennedy. He gets production out of guys he brings in. Jihad Ward. I really hope they re-sign Jihad Ward. He had such a great year as a Baltimore Raven. You might not have noticed down in the trenches. But he was making plays down there. He was a body that could not be shoved away. Damato Pecco, I think, is a little too old to resign. You know, going into his 15th year, I think. I don't really think we need that now. Uh, but he was a good late-season addition. I mean, the Marcus Peters trade right there is the quintessential move of the entire 2019 Ravens season. And and honestly, Eric DeCasa should have won Executive of the Year. I, I know he didn't. I think Lynch won it. Um, but he should have won it. Because think about it. This is a guy who got a fifth-round pick for Corey Vedvik, or Kerry Vedvik, or however you pronounce it. And listen, that was merited, because Kerry Vedvik in Baltimore was hitting those field goals. He was excellent. But then all of a sudden he goes to the Vikings, and he can't make a field goal from two yards out. I didn't understand it at all. How did that happen? Got a fifth-round pick for it, though. Non-conditional. Just a fifth-round pick. Then he gives a fifth-round pick, and Kenny Young, who was showing us he was not producing the way the Ravens wanted him to produce, he trades him and a fifth-round pick. I don't think it was the same fifth-round pick, but we had an extra one, so who cared? It's probably better it wasn't that one because the Vikings finished before. I know no, the Vikings finished at the same time as us in the same round, but I think they were a lower seed, so we, they have a higher, lower pick, something like that. Anyway, um, they end up trading a, a fifth-round pick, and Kenny Young for Marcus Peters, who ends up as a pro bowler, Kenny Young, a backup inside linebacker, and a free fifth-round pick they had, an extra one. Like, are you kidding me? How on earth did that move get traded, pulled off? And then the Rams replaced him with Jalen Ramsey, who was not as good as Marcus Peters this year. I mean, that is the ultimate finesse if I've ever seen a finesse that's the ultimate finesse move in the NFL there's no question about it that move I mean it puts Eric Costa on another level 
And this is his first year as GM. Think about that. Mark Ingram, $5 million a year contract, three years, $15 million total. Um, cha-ching, great move there. Earl Thomas, I know it wasn't the absolute best season for him, but it was still a solid season. A little pricey, but they got him. Getting these trades into, I mean, Eric DaCosta was out here taking names. The dude traded away Jermaine Illuminor for, I think it was a six-round pick. That I mean, How on earth do you even get compensation for Jermaine Illuminor? How? I just don't understand it. I'm really excited to see what, what Eric DaCosta does in year two. But again, bringing these guys in is not just an effort by Eric DaCosta. It's an effort by John Harbaugh. Because John Harbaugh had to figure out how they fit. John Harbaugh had to scheme them in. It was John Harbaugh that had to, had to ultimately get that done to make it worthwhile, and he did it. And that those are the three reasons. It's um, analytics, offensive overhaul, and fitting new guys in, midseason additions and acquisitions in well, not just plugging you know a square peg into a round hole. No, he fit them exactly where they had to be to improve the defense because the Ravens' defense at the first part of the year was atrociously bad. By the end of the year, it was very, very good. And that really shows something about how John Harbaugh manages his team. Now, of course, Lamar Jackson won the MVP award, the first ever Baltimore Raven to be MVP. I know there was talk, you know, maybe Ray Lewis would have won it one year. Um, I think that Ed Reed had a shot one year. and I mean, this is a little bit before my time, but Jamal Adams probably had it. Um, not Jamal Adams. Jamal Lewis. I'm sorry. I've got Jamal Adams on my mind because maybe the Ravens trade for him. You know, I've been hearing talk about that all week, which we're not going to get into really because I don't think it's going to happen. Um, let's get closer to, you know, the reopening the league here before we start speculating. Um just want to recap all these awards here, but Lamar Jackson, first ever Raven to win MVP, obviously deserved it. He was the best all-around player in the National Football League this year. I mean, hands down. There's no question. Lamar Jackson was the best player in the National Football League this year. If you look, the numbers just don't lie. Those stats don't lie. What he did, it just doesn't lie. I mean, 36 touchdowns, over 3,000 passing yards. I think over 1,200 rushing yards and another like three or four rushing touchdowns. I mean, there has never been a quarterback to do what he did. There, it's, it's never happened. He broke the rushing record. I think, you know, it's the most passing yards with that, well, obviously the most passing yards with that amount of rushing because no one's ever run that much for a quarterback. Um, you know, going into the season... Many people, and again, including myself, doubted Lamar Jackson. Now, I didn't say Lamar Jackson would be a running back. You know, I didn't say he would be a complete bust. But I, I was worried about him. I really was worried. I know he put in the work over the offseason, and I was, I was optimistic, but I was cautiously optimistic. But, I mean, my best-case scenario for him was nowhere near what happened. He exploded. I mean, we had how many Jackson 5s? And for those of you that don't remember, a Jackson 5 is now a t- anytime Lamar Jackson throws five touchdowns in a game. I remember Joe Flacco did that once, and everyone went insane about it in 2014. I remember that game. That was amazing. That Tampa Bay Buccaneers game in 2014 where he hit five touchdowns, and, and the four of them came in the first quarter, then he hit the fifth one in like twenty in the first like few minutes of the second quarter, and then they just pulled him. Honestly, they should have kept him in there. He could have just thrown like eight or nine. But, you know, it's it's rare that, that the quarterback throws five touchdowns, to say the least. He did it, like, twice. I think it was just twice. I don't think it was three times. Two perfect passer rating games. Had not happened since Ben Roethlisberger. Again, the rushing record. Franchise passing touchdown record. I mean, there are just so many numbers you can break down. But he could not have done one without the other. He could not have been a great rusher without the passing game. He could not have been a great passer without the rushing game. Because it added an element of intrigue, of, of what's he going to do, right? It's so much easier for you to find a wide-open target if the guy who's supposed to be covering the tight end in the middle of the field, the middle linebacker, thinks you just handed it off to Mark Ingram and is coming up the middle, and you just dump it off to Mark Andrews. I mean, people don't realize this. And I've, I've seen people get mad over people saying stuff like this. 
But Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's not the best, most accurate, most precise passer in the whole world. He's not, okay? He's much more precise. He's much more accurate than he ever was at this point. And he is, he's generally accurate. He's generally precise. But there are times, you know, where he makes goofy mistakes with the ball. That's fine. Um, but he never will need to be so precise, so accurate, where he has to thread the needle on every single play, like maybe Flacco would have to do. Because, you know, it's not just play action. It's, is he going to run it himself? If he rolls out, if he rolls out and there's a guy, there's one guy between him and, and the, the, the line of scrimmage, and he's also between him and Mark Andrews, I mean, what does he do in that situation if Mark Andrews runs outfield for a pass? Does he cover Mark Andrews or does he cover Lamar Jackson? Because either way, you're going to lose. Right, making mismatches, making guys wide open, opening up run lanes. He does not need to be the best passer because he has the best combination of speed, elusiveness, of accuracy and precision to the point where if you put it all together, you get an MVP year. Now, going on to next year, there are people saying he's going to win it again next year. I kind of doubt it because, I mean, he's going to be good, but how rare is it to win MVP twice in a year? I mean, twice in a row. And look, honestly, the MVP curse is alive and well, it seems. Every MVP, I think the um, since the early 2000s, has not gone on to win a Super Bowl. Kurt Warner was the last one to do it. I think that was the year 2000, I think. I don't know for a fact. But the MVP curse seems alive and well. The Madden curse seems like it's broken because Pat Mahomes just won a Super Bowl. So I don't really care that much about Lamar Jackson being on the cover of Madden anymore. Maybe we just keep the MVP from this year and then don't give it to him next year, even if he is the MVP, just because we want to make sure he's a Super Bowl champion. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I kind of doubt he'll win it again next year. I, I think it'll be great next year. There's no question. Will he be as productive? Will he break the rushing record again? I kind of doubt it. It's just hard to do that twice in a year. And of course, there's going to be quarterbacks coming up. I mean, you already got Pat Mahomes. Russell Wilson will be back with a vengeance. Deshaun Watson. I mean, the big three. The big three used to be, you know, Tom Brady, um, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers for a little bit there. You know, it used to be Peyton Manning in there too, but we've we've moved on from Peyton Manning for a while. The the big three now. Russell, I'm not Russell Wilson. Well, Russell Wilson can really be in and out of this, but Russell Wilson be the fourth guy. But Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and and Deshaun Watson. Those would be the three, especially in the conference. They're all in the same conference, and these are going to be guys competing for championships year in and year out the Chiefs and Ravens will be a a bitter rivalry similar to what the Colts and the Patriots were I, I, I would imagine the the Texans will be in that the conversation as well I mean it's going to be very interesting in the, over the next four or five years to see how these quarterbacks interact with each other because they're going to be playing each other all the time if they keep winning the divisions they're going to keep playing each other because if you don't know how the NFL schedule actually works division winners play division winners in the conference and then there's some other teams that they'll play Right, That's why, as a division winner, we played the New England Patriots this past year. We played the Kansas City Chiefs this past year, and we played the, um, who did I just say, Deshaun Watson's Texans, the Houston Texans. And we'll be playing those teams again this upcoming year. So we'll see how that works out. If they keep winning the division, they'll just keep playing them every year. And, of course, we'll probably see them in the playoffs here and there, unless the Titans come back to ruin us again, which I hope will never happen. But um, Lamar Jackson probably won't win MVP again. Next year, probably win it again sometime in his career if he stays on. If he stays on this course, he's a Hall of Famer. If he stays on course, he's a Hall of Famer. And how many NFL teams? Let me think about this for a second. How many NFL teams can say they went from their best franchise quarterback because he still is the best franchise quarterback, Flacco, to their next best franchise quarterback in a single year without any gap in between, just one to the other. How many franchises can say they've done that? It's rare. Maybe Bledsoe to Brady. Maybe Favre to Rodgers. Montana to Young. That's the kind of situation we're in. And I know Flacco is never going to be a Hall of Famer. Although there is a movement to get him in. Because if Eli Manning gets in, he's better than Eli Manning ever was. So he has to get in if Eli gets in. Um, But he probably will never go. Mar Jackson very well could. Um... But it would be a it would be a Hall of Fame transition to say the least. So that's that. Those are the Ravens awards. Um, my thoughts on all of them, all three of them. So we'll see 
what the Ravens have to do this offseason. But but before we go in really to the offseason, I have to talk about it because it's starting tomorrow. And I'm honestly really excited about the XFL. What does the XFL stand for? Absolutely nothing. It's just a name that Vince McMahon has from the previous XFL, which was an utter disaster. I mean, an utter, a complete disaster. I mean, I didn't watch the first XFL. I was too young to watch it. Obviously, because if you go back and you look at what was in it, it was not very family-friendly, let's say the least. So, um, the XFL, there's eight teams. There's the, the D.C. Defenders, which probably most, I would imagine most Ravens that have to pick a team would probably pick the D.C. Defenders because it's the closest. I'll be rooting for the New York Guardians just because I'm honestly closer to New York than Baltimore. Um, there are the Tampa Bay Vipers, who have maybe the coolest uniforms, and this guy has the coolest visor. It looks like a viper staring straight at you in his visor and the helmet. Then there are the St. Louis Battle Hawks, which are, I think, the strangest name in the XFL. Not super cool about that one, although St. Louis having a team, again, is pretty kind of cool. Um, on the west side, there's the Dallas Renegades, really just a remake of the Dallas Cowboys, headed by Bob Stoops, one of the greatest college coaches of all time, retired a few years ago and decided, you know what, I'm going to get in with this XFL business here. Then you got the Houston Roughnecks, um, right? Is it the Houston Roughnecks? Dallas Renegades, something like that. Yeah, Houston Roughnecks. Um should be interesting to watch. Those guys, you got the Seattle Dragons. Um, same colors as the, the Seattle Seahawks, I believe. It's a it's a green. I think they're maybe green and red, though, instead of green and blue, but they're a green. And then you have the L.A. Wildcats, another L.A. team. But this one, of course, will be in the spring. So um, the cool thing about the XFL is that they're trying to speed up the games. They're trying to get, I think, two or two and a half hours. They have some interesting rule changes um, overtime is probably my favorite rule change. Essentially, it's a five-series shootout. I believe it's five series where each team gets an opportunity to score, and then the highest score at the end wins. So, I mean, that just basically – I think it's actually um, – it might not be series. I think it's actually one play. You have a single play to try to score, and it's five times, and you keep going back and forth. So, and then the highest at the end wins that game. There's some other rules – the punting is different. They want to reduce the potential of injuries on the kick returns and punts. Um, but instead of just essentially neutralizing them, making them all touchbacks like the NFL has done, they've, I, I believe, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of iffy about this, but they moved up the return team, I'm sorry, the um, anti-return team, the defenders, towards the, the punter. So, or not the punter, the punt returner. So the punter is at, the I think, the 35-yard line, and he would punt, or, or sorry, on the kickoff. You know, you punt from anywhere on the field, but it's the same principle, but on a kickoff, it would be at the 35-yard line. They move all the defenders up to the specific line. I don't remember where it is, but it's on the other side of the field, near the, the return man. So when that's punted, they start moving, trying to get this guy, right? So you're already really close. Now, the deal with that is there's not enough speed going down the field because you're really just going like five yards and then blocking. Okay, so there's not enough speed going down the field to make any huge impacts, but at the same time, it opens up more opportunity for the return man to make a play. Because if everybody's near that line, and you make a few cuts, and you're behind the line, then you're gone. You know what I mean? So, um, that's an interesting rule to watch. I mean, there's so many different interesting little rules. You can't even put the ball out of bounds. It would be placed, I think, the 35 or 40 yard line. There are so many little interesting things added to the XFL, which I'm really excited for. And I love football, and I love the idea of spring football. You know, I wish a USFL or something like that was still around. I mean, the XFL has funding, at least for this year. Vince McMahon has said he's got it for three years of his own money. So he's super serious about this. It's not going to be – there's no gimmicks this time around. If you remember the first XFL, there are no gimmicks. It's just straight football. Oliver Luck, the guy who used to run – NFL Europe, when the NFL was trying to get into the European market, did it well. Of course, it wasn't a product the Europeans really wanted, but he did it well enough. Um, has, on, has been on NCAA boards, athletic director at West Virginia. You know, he's a guy all around, has a ton of executive experience. Trust him, really do trust him to do this. They have huge television deals. All their games are being broadcasted on major networks, except for, I think, two games. 
this year one's gonna be on like Fox Fox Sports One, and then the other is gonna be like on a minor ESPN network. But all the rest of the games are either on Fox, the main Fox, um, ABC, and ESPN. So huge television deals. Okay, exposure everywhere. And if you remember the AAF last year's AAF, which I mean they had some really good football, but it was a complete debacle. Um, with funding, they didn't really have these kind of television deals, but the fact that the XFL is on ABC, Fox, and ESPN right there shows you that they're going to get eyeballs, and the key to this is eyeballs and getting those eyeballs to stay. As long as it's good football and as long as stars emerge, that's going to be the key. Getting stars to emerge from this, then this league's going to succeed. But it is a big gift because these are guys who aren't on NFL teams for a reason. Um, you know, but I think a lot of them still have stuff to bring to the table. You remember, guys, if you watch AAF, like Rashad Ross is coming in. He'll be on the D.C. Defenders. Um, and there are other players in this league that a lot of people will know. Cardale Jones, the former Ohio State Buckeye that led them to a national championship, almost um, became a starter in the National Football League before he decided to stay at his college for another year, and then he became a backup to Phillip Rivers. Um, Josh Johnson, longtime guy. Um, in the NFL, you've got guys like Matt Jones, okay? Um, there's a lot of Ravens players. I really want to talk about the former Ravens players on it, but there are other guys. Matt McGloin for the D.C. Defenders is the quarterback. There are other quarterbacks, too, um, who I'm blanking on all of a sudden. No Johnny Menzel, unfortunately, although I'd pay to see that spectacle. Um, but there are tons. I mean, Sammy Coates, you remember Sammy Coates? Antonio Callaway is in this league. I mean, I don't even know why he's not on an NFL roster. I know he's, you know... Not the best when it comes to staying off of uh, drugs, but, you know, they're just guys in this league. And I, I don't even think, just to kind of get a segue here, I don't think marijuana is actually going to be tested for. So guys who are flunking out of the league for marijuana legalized in certain states, you know, getting flunked out of the NFL would not get flunked out of the XFL, which is interesting. And we'll see if, what the Ravens can do about, I mean, not the Ravens, what the NFL would do about that. But there are a lot of guys former NFL guys on these teams um, who you just, I mean, you just want to see succeed. And there's some Ravens here I want to talk about. Um, former Ravens players, obviously Josh Johnson, I think he had, what was he, with the Ravens for like an offseason or two, I think back in 2015, 2016, something like that. He'll be the quarterback for the LA Wildcats, although he's injured. He is injured right before opening week, which is not good. Um, but some names other Ravens player, uh, Ravens fans will remember. Matt Elam. Yeah, that Matt Elam. D.C. defender safety. Remember what he did um, with the Ravens, or what really he didn't do with the Ravens play well. Um, so he'll be with the D.C. defenders. We got Will Hill. Yes, Will Hill running down the sideline. Will Hill with the football. Um, St. Louis Battlehawks. He, I mean, 20, what was it, 2015 we picked up Will Hill? No, 2014. Excellent addition for those two years. Best play, of course, is that running down the sideline. Will Hill's going to get a block. Will Hill's going to win the game on a blocked field goal. You all remember that game against the Cleveland Browns, although, disclaimer, I actually fell asleep during that game. What, it was 2015. Like, you can't make fun of me for that because it was 2015. We sucked that year. I fell asleep on the couch watching that game, and I didn't actually see that play happen live. Oops. Um, oh, well, but he'll be on the St. Louis Battlehawks. I don't even know who this guy is. DeAndre Wesley. Offensive tackle, um, he was released in 2017 on final roster cuts, played in seven games for Baltimore in 2016. I honestly forgot he was a Raven. I, I don't even remember him. Keenan Reynolds, maybe the guy I want to see the most, wide receiver for the Seattle Dragons. I mean, he's a guy I think that just really hasn't gotten a chance. And what's really cool about him, though, is he was really pegged, or at least hoped to be a return man for the Ravens. And with the new return rules, in theory generating more exciting return plays, he might have an opportunity to shine in the XFL and either be there long-term or get his, himself back onto an NFL offense. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Marquiston Huff, former Ravens safety, is on the Houston Roughnecks. Joe Horn Jr., a guy a lot of Ravens fans were looking at this past offseason, will be on my New York Guardians. I'm, so, I'm excited to see him play. And, of course, Nico Siragusa, former, I think it was a fifth or sixth-round pick, Offensive lineman, offensive guard, really. He was one of the, I think he was the first draft I covered, actually. We drafted him. I predicted him, by the way, in my um, my mock draft. 
Uh, he is on the L.A. Wildcats. So those are the former Ravens players that have made um, XFL rosters. And let's just look at some other XFL rosters while we're here because, I mean, again, I'm just really excited overall about this. The prospect of a spring football really developmental league where we can see practice squad players doing really well you know, and, and making themselves back into teams. It'd be really cool. Dallas Renegades, you have Landry Jones. Everyone remembers him from the um, Oklahoma Sooners, if you're a college football fan. And, of course, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you're a Ravens fan, who remembers him as the backup occasionally had to go in for um, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, other people on the Dallas Renegades that we might remember here. Uh, doesn't look like anybody else major that comes to my mind here. Uh, yeah, so let's move on. Although this name right here, Frank Alexander, seems familiar. Not sure why. Fourth round, Carolina Panthers pick in 2012. Hmm. Tyree Jackson on the D.C. Defenders quarterback out of Buffalo. He's a guy I liked coming out. Simi Cobbs Jr. I think he played for the Redskins, didn't he? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Redskins. Eli Rogers, you remember him from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Rashad Ross that was the AAF's undisputed uh, wide receiver King. Malachi Dupree sounds familiar, although maybe just because Bud Dupree is, is a name everybody knows. Um, Elijah Qualls, I be- wasn't he with the Ravens for like a hot second? Elijah Qualls, let's check this out. Yeah, he was with the Ravens for a hot second this year. Bet you don't remember that. Um, doesn't look like there's anybody else. Oh, Scooby Wright, if you remember um, Scooby Wright from Arizona. He was a guy a lot of people liked it inside linebacker. Of course, you got Matt, uh, Matt Elam. Raheem Moore, the guy that was single-handedly destroyed by Joe Flacco and um, Jacoby Jones. That Raheem Moore, or the Mile High Miracle Raheem Moore on the D.C. Defenders. It'd be fun to see him, you know, kind of screw up. Houston Roughnecks, my, my, one of my favorite college quarterbacks I've ever seen play, Connor Cook. I thought for sure he'd be great in the NFL. I don't think he really got an opportunity, so I'd love to see him pull ahead with the Houston Roughnecks here. Um, then they got Sammy Coates uh, as a wide receiver. He was with the um, Steelers as well. You've got Coney Ealy, defensive lineman um, on that team. Looking at some other guys here. Let's see. Mark Huff, as we mentioned earlier. Nobody else really worth um, mentioning. Though Jalen Saunders sounds familiar. Not sure why he does. Los Angeles Wildcats, um, Elijah Hood is a guy I remember scouting um, from UNC. Um, you got Josh Johnson on this team, Nico Siragusa, Patrick Vahey, center former guy with the Ravens this past offseason. I mean, there's a lot of talent on these rosters. There really is. Um, you know, not the most talent. Matt McGloin, um, Joe Horn Jr. on the D.C. Defender. Defenders. EJ Bibbs sounds familiar. Not sure why he does. Um, but I'm really excited as we kind of look through these these guys here to see what they all can do. BJ Daniels, Brandon Silver, some interesting quarterbacks there on the Seattle Dragons. Um, and four teams each, I think, go to the playoffs. So half of the league will make the playoffs in the first year. And of course, like we again, we gotta have some stars emerge. The best overall off the roster to me so far has to be those easy defenders with Cardale Jones, um, Coates. Uh, I think, did I say Eli Rogers was on that team? Just a lot of guys on that team that I think that could succeed. Jordan Tamu, I remember scouting him. He is on, he's the quarterback for the St. Louis Battlehawks, or at least one of them. Um, Carlton Agadosi is from Rutgers. I'm a Rutgers football fan. Um, Will Hill on this team. I mean, this is a lot of guys that, that you'd probably remember some of them more than I would. Some of these names, Quentin Flowers, running back slash quarterback. That's an interesting rule. In the XFL, you can have a double forward pass as long as it's behind the line of scrimmage. So you could throw it. Let's say they, let's say um, Aaron Murray on the Tampa Bay Vipers throws to Quentin Flowers. You know, on a wheel route. He and he has he could have the option to throw it or run it, even if it's a forward pass. It would be amazing to see that happen. Amazing. I'm really excited about that one. He played quarterback for USF. If you didn't know. Um, Quentin Flowers, but Aaron Murray, you know, he's a guy, Georgia, really good quarterback, I think, could be one of the best quarterbacks in this league. Um, you know, just a lot of guys on these rosters that I'm really excited to see. Um, going on to the 
Next one, I don't know what this team nine is. I think it's like a practice squad. Joe Callahan is the quarterback there. So, there, I mean, there's a lot of guys we're looking at. And I'm overall just intrigued to see what happens in the XFL. I know that wasn't the best roster breakdown. Um, because, again, we don't know a lot of these guys. But we will know some more starting tomorrow. And the first game, right, the first XFL game, I believe it's going to be a 2 o'clock, um, 2 p.m. kickoff. Let's see, the schedule for the first game is a 2 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, Seattle Dragons at D.C. Defenders. The nice thing is basically all these games are technically prime time because of the only game on at that time. That's an ABC game. Then you have a Fox game at 5 o'clock, L.A. Wildcats at Houston Roughnecks. Then Sunday you get the Tampa Bay Vipers at the New York Guardians and the St. Louis Battlehawks rounded out 5 p.m. on Sunday on ESPN. St. Louis Battlehawks at Dallas Renegades. So we'll see how these these guys unfold. My guess is DC is going to be the best team. They seem to have the best roster, although I wouldn't sleep on the Vipers or any of these other teams. Really excited to see what happens. I know it's not Ravens news, but I thought I would break it down to kind of round out this episode since there's really no other Ravens things to talk about. Um, so let me know if you're excited about the XFL, because I sure am. Don't go out and buy a jersey yet, though. We want to make sure this league actually functions. Although, if anybody is going to actually have a long-term stay on the, the the spring football league, it looks like it's going to be the XFL. If anybody can do it, I would think it's these guys. Um, but that's going to wrap up today's episode. I hope you enjoyed Nest Talk episode. I don't even know what episode this is. Um, 60-something. Reminder to find us on Facebook. Just search up Nest Talk or the Baltimore Feather. Find us on Twitter at BeMoreFeather or at Nest Talk. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Linfont. Um, go to BaltimoreFeather.com for the latest, greatest news and opinion articles for the Ravens. And, of course, um, you can subscribe to the email news list there where you get all the articles in your email inbox. And, finally, wherever you are listening to this, YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, iTunes, I don't really care where, um, make sure you subscribe to get them, um, all these episodes, when they come out into your feed. Um, so this is Chris Linfont of BaltimoreFeather.com and the Nest Talk Podcast signing out until next week when we hopefully have some more things to talk about. And maybe we'll talk more XFL, uh, a little bit more in depth, hopefully. So again, this is Chris Linfont signing out. Have a great weekend. Um, enjoy some spring football, and we'll see you next Friday. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com.